belong in the Bible. That had to do with the collection by the people of God. And this has come under attack today, and it's the question I want to address tonight. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. This is a program that presents the truth of Jesus Christ and answers the sometimes difficult questions that all of us ask about God. And we want to remind you that there are a multitude of resources available online at evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Check it out today. Today on Evidence and Answers, Dr. Pat Zuckerin welcomes Dr. Norman Geisler, one of the leading defenders of the Christian faith, as he addresses the issue of the canonicity of the Bible. In other words, what books belong in the New Testament canon and which do not. This is a two-part series. Let's begin today with part one. The topics that we're talking about are of world-shaking importance. And as a matter of fact, uh, the Bible, which we believe is the Word of God, is under attack, not only from our culture, not only from outside the church, but from inside the church. Not only from people who don't share our uh, worldview, but from people who claim that they share our worldview. And it's this attack upon the, the Bible is coming in subtle ways today. It's not coming in direct ways by bombastic atheists like Madeleine Murray O'Hare used to uh, be, but it's coming from uh, people who are claiming to be Christians, from people who are claiming not to be writing anything religious, but just writing a novel. The Bible has uh, four links between God and us. Uh, the first link is called inspiration. Uh, every word of this book comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said so, Matthew chapter 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And he and the New Testament writers 92 times said, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's the foundation of our faith. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God himself. The second stage is called canonization. You may not be familiar with that word. It comes from the Greek word uh, for rule or ruler. It means which are the, the ruling or normative writings by which we test our faith. What is it that's the basis for faith and practice? Uh, which books belong in the Bible? Uh, that had to do with the collection by the people of God. And this has come under attack today, and this is the question I want to address tonight. The third stage is transmission. The Bible was copied by scribes of God, and I addressed that last night. The Bible is the most accurately copied book from the ancient world. And the, uh, the uh, fourth and final stage is translation. Was the Bible... Uh, translated correctly by servants of God. And though we don't have time to uh, address that, we know that uh, the Bible has been in every major translation. All of the major teachings of the Christian church uh, comes through very clearly. So I want to concentrate on number two tonight. Do we have the right collection of books? How do we know they're the right collection of uh, books in the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament? The Da Vinci Code uh, purported to be a novel, but it was more than a novel. Missionaries left the field after reading it. Pastors gave up their pulpits after reading it. The Da Vinci Code actually undermined the Christian faith. And I want to address the issues raised in this book and the movie because they have so affected our culture. Is anything missing? Da Vinci said, yes, there are some things missing. He said more than 80 Gospels were considered for the New Testament. And yet only a few were chosen for inclusion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John among them. Now for you and I to pick up our Bible and to think that somehow some important things were left out. 
and that somebody has discovered these things and they should be added to our Bible is very disconcerting to the Christian faith, uh, if true. Furthermore, da Vinci said, in those trunks are reputed to be the purest documents, thousands of pages of unaltered pre-Constantine documents written by the early followers of Jesus, revering him as a holy human teacher and prophet. Also rumored to be part of the treasure is a legendary Q document. Allegedly, it's the book of Jesus' teaching, possibly written in his own hand. Is there a, uh, a gospel called Q somewhere? Was it hidden from people? Did it present Jesus as a purely human being and not as the gospels that say he was the son of God? So da Vinci suggests... Constantine commissioned and financed a new Bible, which omitted those Gospels that spoke of Christ's human traits and embellished those Gospels that made him godlike. The earlier Gospels were outlawed, gathered up, and burned. Now, if da Vinci is right, uh, you and I should fold up this church and every other church that believes that the Bible is the Word of God that has been accurately collected and copied and transmitted down through the years. And so I want to address the basic questions raised by da Vinci. Number one, were there 80 other Gospels considered? Was there a pile of books on the table that would reach six or seven feet tall, and they sorted through that pile, and they chose just four and rejected 76 of them? Second question, were any other Gospels authentic? Were there Gospels that told us the true story about uh, Jesus, namely he was purely a human being, never claimed to be God, uh, just a human being that walked the face of this earth? The third question we want to address, uh, was there an original Gospel of Q? Are the Gospels that we have uh, written generations later and earlier, the earliest of all, was a document called Q from the German word Kuella, which means source, that tells the real story of Jesus. And can we put this together and find out what Jesus was really like? In other words, will the real Jesus please stand up? Fourth, did the earliest gospels teach Christ was only a human being? Is it that the gospel writers who are writing several generations later embellish the account, the very simple human being that lived, they made into a godlike figure generations later, and that's the Bible that we have? Five, did Constantine form our Bible? Was this a political action of a Roman emperor? Is he the one that constructed the Bible? Is he the one that chose which books would be in the Bible? Were they chosen for political purposes? All of these things tend to undermine our faith. So let's take the questions one by one. Were 80 other Gospels considered? The answer is no. There were not 80 other Gospels considered. Uh, there were only four of them from the first century. Now, I'm not just saying this. Scholars on both sides of the debate, the most radical scholars on the face of the earth, some of whom are atheists, as I said last night, believe that only four Gospels were written in the first century. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, many of these scholars believe they were written late, 70 to 100 A.D., but they agree that there were only four Gospels that come from the first century. We found out last night that they were written probably from the 50s to the 70s, most of them, with the possible exception of John. But that aside, everybody agrees that da Vinci is wrong. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the only four Gospels that come to us from the first century. The latter apocryphal Gospels were written in the second and third centuries, 
and were never considered for the New Testament. At no time did any church father, did any church consul ever consider any of these other gospels that were obviously apocryphal because they say, I, Thomas, now Thomas died in the first century by uh, just past the middle of the first century. I, Thomas, am writing unto you. When 140 or 150 AD, Thomas has been dead almost 100 years. So it couldn't possibly be a genuine gospel because it's written by people who are claiming to be apostles or associates of apostles who had been dead for almost 100 years, second and third century. There were dozens of fragments, but only about 15 or 20 of these apocryphal gospels of note. For example, the second and third century of the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of the Ebionites, Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of the Egyptians, Gospel of James, Gospel of Philip, uh, Gospel of Judas, a uh, fragment of which, uh, a copy of which was found. Remember last uh, year, what was known from the second century, the time of Irenaeus, the Gospel according to Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Truth, the Gospel of the Hebrews, the Gospel of uh, Matthias, the Gospel of the Twelve, the Gospel of Eve, and the Gospel of Perfection. So we've known of these. There are two big books on my shelf called the Apocrypha, and scholars have known of these for years. They're second and third century frauds. They weren't written by the apostles. They're written by uh, cults, primarily uh, Gnostic-type uh, cults, and they were never considered to be first century writings, and they were never considered to be part of the Bible. Were there 80 Gospels? No. Uh, were any other Gospels authentic? No. And to show that they weren't authentic, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to show you by quotations from the Gospels themselves. They had false claims to be written, uh, by apostles and authors who were long dead. So right there, if a uh, hundred years from now, somebody says, I, Norman L. Geisler, am writing uh, this book, you know it's a fraud because I've been long dead a hundred uh, years from now. And so it was with these apocryphal gospels. They had false miracle claims. The Bible tells us an authentic first century book, John, tells us that the first miracle Jesus did was turning water to wine. That's the first miracle in Cain of Galilee. That means he didn't do any miracles before he was 30 years of age. That means that all of these apocryphal gospels that have miracles of Jesus when he was a child, like cutting off a board in his dad's carpenter shop too short and just stretching it out, like smiting the neighborhood kids with blindness, uh, all of these apocryphal stories never happened because the first miracle he did when he was 30 they had false claims about biblical events. They make false claims about things in the Bible. They had false teachings throughout their pages, of which I'll give you numerous illustrations. They had heresies on God called pantheism. There were New Agers in the first century, the second century. Heresies on God. Listen to this one. The Lord called out and cried, My power, O power, thou hast forsaken me. Clearly apocryphal. Jesus cried out, My father. Father, why have you forsaken me? Then he spoke and said, I am thou, and thou art I. And where thou art, there I am. And I am sown in all things, and whence thou wilt, thou gatherest me. But when thou gatherest me, thou gatherest thou thyself. This is something that could have come from Mary Baker Patterson Gloveretti. Could have been written by Shirley MacLaine. It could have come from any New Ager uh, we have around today. Jesus said, I am the all. 
the all has emerged from me, and the all has attained to me. Cleave a piece of wood, I am there. Lift a stone, and you'll find me there. Remember Luke Skywalker uh, in the Star Wars series? Here, there, everywhere, between you, me, there, the force, Luke. Uh, same thing. This, a Zen Buddhist could say this. And that in fact, the Star Wars is a Zen Buddhist movie. Uh, the producer was Zen Buddhist. The director uh, was a Zen Buddhist. Heresies on God, pantheism. Thus the word of the Father proceeds forth unto the all, being the fruit of his heart and from his will. Uh, upholds it all. It chooses it. It also takes it upon itself, the form of the all, purifying it. This is a phrase used by a second century pantheist. The all, the one, the whole. Uh, not a phrase from the Bible. Feminism. I am the father, I am the mother. Now you'll not find that anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't say uh, holy, 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 mother, daughter, and holy spiritist. Uh, that would be blasphemous. Holy, holy, holy to father, son, and Holy Spirit. I, I am the Son. I am the eternal existing, the unmixed. There's a new book on the market that I warn you about. It's called The Shack. A lot of people are reading it. A lot of people are uh, being uh, drawn into it. Uh, but it has a very distorted picture of God. God the Father is depicted as a large African-American woman. Now how God the Father can be depicted as a woman of any size or any uh, color is beyond scripture because God is spirit and uh, he has uh, no flesh and blood. Modalism, this is a heresy that many TV preachers are proclaiming. Uh, T.D. Jakes is a modalist, that's a heresy. The Way Down Seminar uh, was a, a heresy, a modalistic heresy. What is that? Believes there's only one person in God and he plays three different roles. Plays the role of father, like an actor playing one role, going back, changing his clothes, coming out, playing another role. There's only really one person in God, and he plays three different roles, three different modes. Not true. There are three persons. At Jesus' baptism, Jesus was there, the Father was speaking from heaven, and the Holy Spirit was descending. Three distinct persons, all at the same time. Jesus talked to the Father, a distinct person talking to another distinct person. Another heresy called emanationalism, that God doesn't create from nothing, he creates out of him stuff, out of himself. His stuff is the stuff of which you are made. All the emanations of the Father then are uh, primaries. All our emanations have their roots in him and cause them all uh, to grow from himself and gave them their destiny. Pre-incarnation. This is a, a, a view held by Hindus, held by uh, Buddhists, never held by Christians. We didn't exist before uh, we were created in the womb. We had no pre-existence. Jesus said, blessed is he who was before he came unto being. You can't find any verse like that in the Bible. It's clearly heretical. On the body, Gnosticism, wretched is the body. You'll not find this anywhere in the Bible. It says God created everything and pronounced it good. The body is good. The only philosophy and religion in the world that proclaims matter is good is the Judeo-Christian one. Every other one says matter is not good all the way down to Gnosticism which says matter is evil. Dualism, by means of knowledge, 
Each will purify himself from diversity into unity, devouring matter within himself like fire, darkness by light, death by life. It is fitting for us to take God above all, that the house may be holy and silent for the unity. Now, when I was working on my PhD in philosophy, which means phenomenally dumb, I discovered, uh, I did a lot of study in a third century writer called Plotinus. This comes lock, stock, and barrel out of Plotinus. The one is God. Uh, all of us will merge with God like drops of water falling back in the pond, merging with the pond, losing their identity. It's like nirvana in Buddhism, where you cease to exist as an individual and uh, reach the extinguishing point. On human nature, your God is within you. You're the perfect human. Well, that certainly doesn't come out of the Bible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none that do with good, no, not one. Just read Romans chapter 3. Salvation is by knowledge. This is called Gnosticism, meaning the gnosis, the knowledge. Uh, what did come from the Father was knowledge. As soon as men come to this knowledge, we're not saved by knowledge. Uh, we're saved by the fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. We're saved by an act of redemption, not an act of cognition. Mysticism, by means of knowledge, each will purify himself from diversity to unity. We're not saved by mystical meditation. In fact, one of the interesting things about these early Gospels is there's some anti-feminism. And feminist scholars are actually promoting some of these very books that have anti-feminist statements. Listen to this. See, I shall lead her so that I will make her male, that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. The Hare Krishnas believe this. They believe that no woman can be saved as a woman. She has to first become reincarnate as a man. And then when she becomes reincarnate as a man, she has hopes for union with God. Salvation isn't possible for women as women. On Jesus, Jesus wasn't God. The first angel is Seth, who is called Christ. The fifth is Adonais. These are five who ruled over the underworld, the first over the chaos, the gospel of Judas. That's not a surprise that Judas, a betrayer of Christ, would be portrayed as having a gospel which denied that Jesus is God. Christ was not begotten of the Father, but created as one of the archangels. You know there's nothing new under the sun. You know those very zealous people that knock on your door, two by two, called Jehovah's Witnesses? That's what they believe. That Jesus was Michael the archangel. He was a created being. He wasn't God from all eternity. There really aren't very many new heresies. Docetism, this is a heresy that denies that Jesus was human, that he was really a human being. But he held his peace as if he held no pain. He felt no pain. In fact, on the cross, they say, Jesus was so superhuman that he didn't even feel any pain when all of the so-called agony was going on. That Jesus wasn't really God's son, but that God adopted him, usually at his baptism. God said, well, there's a good man. I think I'll adopt him into the Godhead, a heresy called adopt. This day have I begotten thee as my son. On miracles, listen to this. Does this sound like Jesus to you? This little child Jesus, when he was five years old, was playing at the ford of a brook. And having made soft clay, he fashioned thereof twelve sparrows. Jesus clapped his hands together and cried out to the sparrows and said to them, Go. And the sparrows took their flight and went away chirping. 
Now, how Jesus' brothers could disbelieve him when he was a, a child, because remember in John 7, it says his brothers didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection. When he could do things like this is incredible in itself, but it goes on further. And Jesus said to him, if you are indeed a teacher, and if you know the letters well, tell me the meaning of the alpha, and I will tell you the meaning of the beta. This is Jesus talking back to his teacher. And the teacher was annoyed and struck him on the head. And the child, Jesus, was hurt and cursed his teacher. And he immediately fainted and fell to the ground on his face. Well, you wouldn't want a kid like that in your class, for sure. Uh, don't you want to talk back to a child like that? This is so contrary to the picture of Christ we have in the Gospels. At Jesus' birth, everything in heaven froze. The birds froze in the air. The water coming over the waterfalls froze. Everything creation froze. Can you imagine what that would be like if everything in the universe stopped, was put on hold for a second, and then all at once everything went on again? What an embellished miracle. But the son of Annas, the scribe, was standing there with Joseph, and he took a branch of a willow with it, he dispersed the water which Jesus had gathered together, as little kids do. They were gathering water from the uh, ocean or whatever, from the uh, bigger body of water, making a little puddle of water. And when Jesus saw what he had done, that he had dispersed his water, he was enraged and said to him, You insolent, godless thunderhead, what harm did the pools of water do to you? See now also, you shall wither up like a tree, and shall bear neither leaves nor fruit, and immediately... The lad withered up completely. You don't want to play with a neighborhood kid like that on your block, nor do you want to imagine that Jesus was like that. On Jesus' resurrection, look at the exaggerated report. In the night in which the Lord day had dawned, the soldiers, two by two, in every watch were keeping guard. There rang out a loud voice in heaven, and they saw the heavens open, and two men came down from heaven. There's a great brightness and draw nigh to the sepulcher. The stone which had been laid against the entrance of the sepulcher started of itself to roll and give way to the side. And while they were relating what they had seen, they saw again three men come out from the sepulcher and two of them standing, sustaining the other and the cross following them. And the heads of the two reaching into heaven, but that of him who was led by them by the hand, overpassing the heavens. And they heard a voice from heaven saying, Thou hast preached to them that sleep. And from the cross there was heard an answer, Yea. Clearly an embellished account uh, of the gospel. And you read the gospel of Matthew or Mark and the uh, resurrection. It's so straightforward, so simple, and so unembellished. Jesus' disciples blaspheme him this. Get this. The gospel of Judas. This manuscript was discovered a year or so ago. When he approached his disciples, gathered and seated and offering prayer of thanksgiving over the bread. They're celebrating communion, and Jesus came up, and he laughed. Can you imagine Jesus laughing at people celebrating communion? When his disciples heard this, they started getting angry and infuriated and began blaspheming him in their hearts. Jesus mocking the Lord's Supper and the disciples blaspheming Jesus? I don't think so. This is the Apocrypha. Mysticism. Uh, step away from the others, and I'll tell you, Judas, the mysteries of the kingdom, for it's possible for you to reach it, but you will grieve a great deal. Judas was really the inside guy. The rest of the guys, the 11, didn't get it. Judas was the only one who really understood what Jesus was saying. Look, you have been told everything. Lift up your eyes and look at the clouds. 
and the light within it and the star surrounding it. The star that leads the way is your star. It's not Jesus Christ's superstar even, it's Judas' superstar. No, Jesus said, I spoke openly to the world and in secret I have said nothing, directly contrary to the first century gospel. More Jesus' love for Mary Magdalene. These uh, new uh, age people and these new Bible critics aren't inventing this stuff. It was there in the second and third century. But if the Savior hath made her, Mary, worthy, who then art thou that thou rejects her? Certainly the Savior knows her surely enough. Therefore did he love her more than others. And from that they make a whole marriage and romance and Jesus having children and all of the rest. They use the allegorical interpretation of the Bible instead of the literal interpretation. They engage in moral asceticism, denying the body and engaging in total abstinence from all sexual uh, relations. Now what about all of these books? And I went through those because I wanted you to see with your own eyes what these people are saying. Well, thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers today with Pat Sukrin. And our prayer is that we answer the hard questions that all of us ask and that we equip you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And if you're a seeker or a skeptic, we hope we've challenged you with the various evidences which support the claims of Christ. There are a multitude of resources available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Interviews with leading scholars, past shows that you can download, and we deal with topics from atheism, to Zen Buddhism, to Islam, to the occult, the cults, agnosticism, and contemporary issues which faces today. And by the way, when you purchase our resources, you keep Pan Sukarin speaking out all over the world. Help support a quality apologetics program for radio and podcast and Pat's speaking engagements on college campuses and churches all over the world. Evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Evidenceandanswers.org. For Pat Zuckerin, I'm Kevin Harris. 